The Truth News Network. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs goes behind the sitting president and vows not to attack an adversary. The Speaker of the House moves to strip a sitting president of one of his most important powers. All of it, all of it, done behind a president's back. And the press is silent. Except here. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your reporter of record is Dan Newman. One thing you can be assured of... As long as we have breath and the ability to speak, we're not going away. We are going to talk about the important things in our lives. That's what we do here, and uh, we're not going to stop. Good morning, everybody. 17 days, 17 days until Christmas. Have you got your Christmas shopping done? Now, I know you moms out there that are listening in, When I asked you that question, you said, who do you think you are, Dan? We're moms. We're ready. We understand. We shopped early for our babies, for our family gifts, and we know Santa's done the same thing, so we're ready for Christmas. And oh, by the way, before I forget to say this, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and also a Happy New Year to everybody. Not politically correct, but folks, I don't give a rip. I don't care about being politically correct. I care about being a caring American. And that's what we're all about here at Truth News Network. So where are we going today in our show? We have, as always, a bunch of new things that have just hit the news cycle, and we want to make sure the most important of those we get to you today. Now, a lot of stuff, folks, you're just not going to be able to digest in a normal workday a normal day of just being Americans because we're all busy. And uh, even here at TNN Live, we don't have the capability of watching and listening and reading everything that is put out in the, the news industry and then wade through it. So what we try to do is get the big important headlines, the things that we know if they're factual are going to be really good for you. In addition, we go the other way. We'll go all the way to the bottom of the news content and the things that are considered by many to be conspiracy. We look at those too. We want to make sure you get everything. You get the truth about everything that's important. And that's what we're going to do here today. We're going to go to Russia today with President Biden from yesterday when he had his conversation with Vladimir Putin. Some interesting tidbits came out of that conversation and things that they hid from the American people about it. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Also, there is some big news slipping out of Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend's trial. And you have not heard this on mainstream media. It's really going to fry you. It's going to toast you that this kind of stuff has been going on for so long. I'm not going to tell you what it is now. Janet Yellen, Secretary of the Treasury, she actually got caught giving out some good capitalist news, some good United States of America businesses versus, guess where? Businesses from China. I know, this is Joe Biden's Secretary of the Treasury. Far left Janet Yellen. And then there's news on the COVID front, some from here in the continental United States, and then some from the UK, some good, some bad. 
So why don't we go ahead and just dig right in? What about Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin yesterday? Well, what we have been told, nobody that I know has seen the transcript of the conversation. It was a video conversation, and they had some difficulty getting the two connected. In fact, it it actually was a fairly uncomfortable moment for our president. He opened with his salutations for Russia's president, and everything wasn't hooked together right. So President Biden had to start over again, and verbatim, which means obviously it's coming from talking points, he introduced himself and welcomed (laughs) President uh, Putin for the second time. But anyway, when they got into it, the two leaders, they were together in a two-hour bilateral video conference yesterday. According to one White House readout of the call, remember, it's coming from the White House readout, which doesn't necessarily mean it's actually the content of the video. They say Biden expressed deep concerns about Russia's escalation of forces surrounding Ukraine. Biden doubled down on his support for Ukraine's sovereignty and their territorial integrity and called for the Russian de-escalation and a return to diplomacy. Now, Biden also vowed, we are told, to provide additional defensive material to the Ukrainians and to fortify NATO allies on Russia's eastern flank with additional capabilities if Russia does decide to invade. Folks, it's not if or when. They've already decided. There's no way you can even think logically that Vladimir Putin or any other world leader was not planning an invasion in this country, Ukraine, or even elsewhere if they have 100,000 soldiers on the border already. Poland, Romania, and other Baltic countries are going to be seeking, we're told, we expect additional capabilities and potentially additional deployments And the U.S. will be looking to respond positively to those things in the event there's a further incursion into Ukraine. Now, that little tidbit was dropped on us after this call by National Security Advisor to the President, Jake Sullivan. An empty suit, at best, speckled past. He was uh, Hillary Clinton's right-hand man when she was Secretary of State. And he was the overlord over the day-to-day happenings that happened in Libya where we lost four amazing people. Four Americans were slaughtered on Jake Sullivan and Hillary Clinton's watch. So during this video call, Biden and Putin, they tasked their teams to follow up. No explanation of what that means. And the U.S. will do so in close coordination with its allies and partners. Biden spoke with the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and the U.K. after the call, and Biden plans to speak with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky tomorrow. And this really shocked me. I didn't know this until yesterday. Biden hasn't even spoken since he was inaugurated to Zelensky. Now, let me ask you this. How do do two national leaders, one from the leader of the most powerful nation on earth, that would be the United States. And I know there's some question about U.S. or China. But how could this guy, 
head of that country with so much history, so much bad stuff that happened on uh, the previous, well, two presidents ago's uh, on his watch regarding Ukraine and the United States. How could Joe Biden not even speak to Zelensky in almost a year? And especially with this big thing hanging over their heads like Russia's going to invade Ukraine. It makes me question what are the unknown, unspoken things behind the curtain about Biden and Ukraine. Ukrainian officials have estimated between 90 and 100,000 Russian troops are on the border and in Russia-occupied Crimea. U.S. officials have said the military buildup by Putin's guys, along with the spike in anti-Ukrainian activity on social media, it harkens back to a similar playbook. Remember, 2014, the Obama administration, Russia invaded Crimea. Now, NSA advisor Sullivan, he wouldn't offer any specifics on what economic sanctions would look like, but he said those would be communicated directly to the Russians and in coordination with European allies. Things we did not do in 2014, we are prepared to do now. And what is that referencing? The Biden-Biden administration, they did nothing to stop Russia from invading Crimea. I mean, nothing. Sullivan said the U.S. has held, quote, intensive conversations with both the incoming and outgoing German governments on the subject of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in the context of a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's a topic of utmost priority, Sullivan said. Now let me ask you this. If it is that important, and it is to most Americans, because we know what's going to happen when this pipeline starts pumping gas out of Russia, through Ukraine, and into Western Europe, to our NATO allies countries. They're desperate for natural gas. They are. And this is a new way for them to get gas. What's going to happen when that pipeline is opened up? If I had a lot of money, and I don't, I'd bet it all that Vladimir Putin is going to use it as leverage against our Western European allies. He'll threaten to cut them off if they don't do something. And the one thing, oh, and by the way, that was not discussed. That pipeline wasn't even discussed in the call yesterday. That's just kind of a little odd situation to me. U.S. officials have said that any call from Putin, which he is beside himself, he does not want Ukraine to be allowed to enter NATO. And so we were told after the call yesterday, any call from Putin to deny Ukraine's inclusion in NATO, which he has no say-so whatsoever, would be rejected and that the United States isn't going to operate according to that logic of accepting anyone's red lines. So let me ask you this. We've got the biggest footprint in NATO, and here's Ukraine. 
Now, if I'm a leader of one of those European countries and I'm butting up with or close to, and if you know and have been over there and you understand the geography of Northern Europe, Eastern Europe, going from, let's say, um, uh, Germany, Austria, um, maybe even Switzerland, going from there to Russia is like crossing about half of the United States. It's not a stretch. And what that means is if there's some bad people that want to do some bad things out of Russia, they can reach very easily to all of Europe. If I was Western Europe leaders, I would cry for Ukraine to be brought into NATO. Why? You do know the edict, the promise made by NATO to every one of its nation members. Any attack by anybody on any NATO partner is viewed as and will be treated as an attack on every NATO country even if they don't go into any of these other countries. In other words, it's going to be a freaking war, and it would be very, very ugly. So, Vladimir Putin has made it very clear. When he did what he did in Crimea seven years ago, he just went in there and took Crimea, or not the whole country, but pretty much all of it. And nobody in NATO raised a finger. Russia's not a member of NATO, never will be. Um, why would they think that Vladimir Putin wasn't going to do the same thing? And why would NATO be pushing, especially pushing Joe Biden to start a drive to put NATO in Ukraine and Ukraine in NATO? It would be good for every country on the planet other than Russia. I think China would even like that to happen. It's just a check on tyranny. And I'm sure there's a whole lot more to come out of this, so stay close. This is not just happening now, folks. This is going to go on, and it's going to go on, and there's going to be a whole lot more to it. Now, what about that uh, that trial of um, Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend, Ghislaine Maxwell? Well, I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2019, the FBI raided Jeffrey Epstein's Epstein's New York townhouse. And we found out yesterday, during that raid, they unearthed a treasure trove of images of nude underage girls, folks. Now, this came out in yesterday's testimony in the trial of Maxwell. She's facing accusations of between 94 and 2002 she procured underage girls that Epstein would later sexually abuse. FBI Special Agent Kelly McGuire said that during that FBI raid in 2019, hundreds of images of naked underage girls were found locked up in a safe. FBI analyst Kimberly Meter also testified yesterday about CDs that were discovered in Epstein's safe. An image found on one CD showed Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell, and Epstein together, she said. Boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Epstein was under arrest for alleged sex trafficking when he died August 2019 in a Manhattan jail cell. The safe was found in plain sight. Didn't have to dig for it. It was in the third floor room of a seven-story townhouse. 
The raid turned up at least hundreds and perhaps thousands of sexually suggestive pictures of fully or partially nude females that were kept by Epstein. Some of the photos appear to be of underage girls, including at least one girl who, according to her attorney, was underage at the time the relevant photographs were taken. Also in this hearing, a woman using the pseudonym Kate testified that Maxwell recruited her to give Epstein message of massages. Now that's from the New York Times. Kate said that Maxwell escorted her into rooms where she would give Epstein a massage, took care of her international travel, once gave her what she called a schoolgirl outfit to wear when she served tea to Epstein. She said that in that instance, Epstein initiated a sex act. The prosecutor, Laura Pomerantz, asked Kate, the girl, why she put on the outfit. I didn't know how to say no, she said. I'd never been to Palm Beach or Florida before. I had no idea where the house was. I wasn't even sure if I said no if I would leave or what the consequences would be for not doing it. She said she met Maxwell in 94 in Paris and called Maxwell very sophisticated and very elegant. She seemed to be everything that I wanted to be, the little girl said. And she testified that Maxwell wanted to introduce her to her boyfriend, a philanthropist who helped young people. Now, why are we talking about this story? Why are we bringing it? You need to understand this. Hundreds, hundreds of the greatest political heavyweights in the past and currently in power in countries not just ours, but listen, many in our country, many European countries, Asia, South America, Australia, Africa, the continent of Africa, many people are implicated in this investigation. And that's why very few news outlets are saying anything about this. We have flight manifests not all of them, but we have several flight, the official flight manifest of Epstein's jet flying from points in the United States to Lolita Island where all this stuff, he had a compound, a big estate down there and he would bring heavyweight political people and big wealthy business owners, entrepreneurs, kind of like Bill Gates and others of that ilk. He would bring them down there and allegedly they would have all kinds of sex parties. I don't think this is going to go away and I hope it doesn't go away. But those flight manifests showed the passengers aboard that jet on its way from parts of New York, uh, Florida, New Jersey, other cities here and of course overseas as well, flying heavyweights to that island to get it on. And some of the names on that flight manifest are shocking. Maybe when all this breaks, we'll get into that. I'm not going to release any of the names until then because it won't do any good. Nothing's proven yet. I don't have evidence other than the flight manifest. And I got those legally, folks. I didn't do anything illegally. We're going to move on, but let me first tell you, if you want to join the show at any time, toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. So I was kind of shocked when I heard what our 
Treasury Secretary had to say yesterday. She's a globalist. I'm sure you know that. Um, She was the chairman of the Federal Reserve for some time. She's big into globalism. She's really big into borders are okay, but we need to let everybody pass through willy-nilly. We don't need to lock countries down. We need to be very inclusive in pretty much everything. In an online conference yesterday, Yellen admitted that it is so-called protectionist policies that will be vital in reshoring supply chains, which we're dealing with in a dramatic way now still, in spite of what Biden says. She says, we've got to do this uh, protectionist thing for the U.S. to avoid the current ongoing crisis where our supply chains have been disrupted dramatically, and it's really impacted our economy negatively. She said it's possible that policies that people will describe as protectionist are going to be necessary to create the appropriate incentives to produce things here in the United States. Though admitting that an economic nationalist approach to supply chains will be necessary, she stuck to her globalist line, that mantra, suggesting that not all goods can be made here. Certainly we want to work with other countries, she said, with our allies and our partners to address supply chain resilience on a collective basis. So I don't think this is just about the United States making everything at home, but in some cases that may be part of the answer. Now, answer this question. If it's not the total answer and the solution to the supply chain issues, why not? I mean, think about it. If they're produced in the United States, whatever they are, everything we sell, everything that's created, manufactured, if we could do all that here, we could get it to our markets like that. And of course, that would mean we're not going to have trucker vaccine mandates and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff initiated for political purposes only. Did nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19. It did nothing but destroy the lives of millions of Americans economically, many of who lost their jobs. Many companies went out of business. Now, what in the heck was Secretary Yellen doing? I mean, she just came out and basically said what I've been espousing for years and what this administration is espousing, it's not working. Well, she claimed in an interview last week that U.S. tariffs on China-made products were contributing to higher prices here. Though again, she admitted that cutting tariffs would have a minimal impact on inflation. It's not a game-changer, she said, but I think the tariffs do contribute to higher prices in the U.S. And the Trump tariffs that were put in place, some of them create problems without having any real strategic justification. Interesting. It's amazing that people, I mean, Janet Yellen's not a young woman. She's been in politics. She's been in finance for decades. Somebody like that that is stone locked down on this globalist philosophy about everything, especially economical issues, can just turn on the dime all of a sudden and say without saying it, but say, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we need to rethink this, but I still, I'm asking that question. Anybody wants to tell me how it could happen? Why, oh, why would we not hurry 
and implement whatever technology, whatever infrastructure is necessary to get back the production, the manufacturing, the development of far more things that we have lost to other countries, and almost exclusively it's to Asia, specifically to China. Malaysia has a bunch of it too. So does Indonesia. And the reason it all went there was because of dollars and cents. And let me point to the culprits that instigated this entire thing through the last two, maybe three decades, labor unions. Labor unions, they push for one thing and one thing only, the cost of producing things that their labor union members create in factories. Labor unions have aggressively pushed for the cost of production to go up and up and up based upon the money they are forcing corporations to pay on top of what has been paid in the past. And folks, when the cost of something gets so high, people quit buying it. And so these companies that had been manufacturing cars, I mean, steel, you can, you can name it. Anything that's manufactured at one point was being manufactured here, and it's all going elsewhere because they over there are willing to do it at less cost. Government should not be in economic policies, period. Yeah, they need to have people up there that can advise. But the government should not ever put their hands on the scale of justice and economical issues, ever, other than in an advisory way. In fact, I think they're doing so. It borders on being unconstitutional. I'm not a constitutional attorney. I'm not an attorney at all. But just based upon what I read in the U.S. Constitution, government have powers only those and only because we relinquish them. We, the people, relinquish relinquish to them the power and the authority to do any of the stuff they do. Well, there's some COVID news out. There's always COVID news out there, but there's some pretty important stuff that popped out overnight. Got that for you next at TNN Live. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids, only at Carl's Jr. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. (laughs) It's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf, and that is its incredibly protective mother. You guys good? Yeah, we're good. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive, no drama. 
What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. Truth, justice, the TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. One thing that's a really big deal to me before we get to the uh, COVID-19, the vaccine mandates, etc. Yesterday, Joe Biden, after he met with Vladimir Putin, he did something a little controversial. You remember the name Soleil Omarova? She was President Biden's nominee for the office of the controller of the currency. Biden withdrew her nomination after Democrats and Republicans opposed her. And she has some really strange and very controversial opinions about everything to do with finance. If the Senate confirmed her, listen to this, she would have had the most powerful, least accountable position over the entire United States banking system. Senators, including Democrats like John Tester of Montana, became increasingly critical of her and others revealed her controversial vision for the American banking system. Senator Steve Daines from Montana in late October said that Omarova's support of communist ideals disqualifies her for the position. And then his fellow senator joined in, Tester, and they both opposed her nomination. Who is she? She was born in Russia, immigrated, I mean, she was in her teens, late teens, when she came to the U.S. She lived under communist ideals. And folks, if you, and we played some of that uh, hearing at the U.S. Senate, Senate committee hearing with her, she still holds many of those ideals. Things that are like, um, Private bank accounts would no longer be allowed. The federal government, the central bank, which of course we're talking about the Federal Reserve is over. The central bank would have access to every checking account, every savings account for every American in the country. She also said for climate change purposes, she would love to see the entire American energy, the big corporations, shut down. Even way back in her academic work, she called to eliminate all bank accounts to transfer bank deposits to what she dermed, uh, deemed Fed accounts at the Federal Reserve. The Democratic Party over the last couple of administrations, they want the government to essentially take over a lot of financial functions from banks. Now that came from a former way up government official in the Treasury Department. Of course, nobody talked about that. But it appears she agrees with that and she would push that if she was uh, confirmed by the Senate. She also called for the creation of a central bank digital currency, or CBDC, that would grant the Fed's massive control over Americans' financial activities. She griped once that the massive digitization of finance, which includes... Currencies like Bitcoin, 
wrested control over Americans' money from the government. She didn't like it for that very reason. The government lost control. So she's gone. Thank God she's gone. You know what? With her, with her nomination, forget about her not being not confirmed, but with the nomination of her and others, really far-left people, I look at Joe Biden. I look at his career. Now, he had a nutty career. He was all over the place, but basically, almost with no exception regarding legislation, he was always close to right down the middle on things. And some of the people, many of the people he sends to the Senate for confirmation hearings, I mean, they're like Omarova, far left, make no attempts to hide their political thoughts on pretty much everything. In fact, they're braggadocious about much of it. That just feeds into the narrative that I've thought for a long time. Somebody else is behind this screen pulling Joe Biden's levers. Kind of like the Wizard of Oz thing. Well, COVID-19, everything to do with it, always front and center here because it's always front and center across the world. Another lawsuit. Another COVID vaccination lawsuit. Attorney General Alan Wilson and Governor Henry McMaster of South Carolina, and they weren't alone. It included Attorneys General of Georgia, Alabama, Idaho, Kansas, Utah, and West Virginia, and Georgia, Alabama, and Idaho, as well as other state entities. The case resolves around the president's authority under the Federal Property and Administrative Services Act. It's called Procurement Act. And the authority it gives the president to issue public health mandates, like the one Biden issues in Executive Order Number 14042. That's the one that requires every federal contractor, all their employees, to be vaccinated or be terminated. The court acknowledges the tragic toll that COVID and the pandemic has wrought throughout the nation and the globe, the judge said. However, even in time of crisis, this court must preserve the rule of law. Oh my God, there's actually a judge in a vaccine mandate case that brought up that term, that phrase, the rule of law. And he continued, and ensure that all branches of government act within the bounds of their constitutionally granted authorities. Furthermore, the judge said, strong interest in combating the spread of COVID does not permit the government to act unlawfully, even in the pursuit of desirable ends. He quoted some legal precedent, the judge did, and it's about the Procurement Act. He said, grants the president particularly direct and broad-ranging authority over those larger administrative and management issues that involve the government as a whole. And that direct presidential authority should be used in order to achieve a flexible management system that's capable of making sophisticated judgments in pursuit of economy and efficiency. In other words, the Procurement Act says government agencies ain't got the authority, nor does a president, to get in the lives of American people and the infrastructure in American corporations for health care issues that are not specifically delineated in the Constitution. So what did the judge do? 
He issued a preliminary injunction on that mandate during the lawsuit's pathway through the court system, concluding that the president exceeded his authority to issue such an EO. Now, if you don't think much or talk about very often the executive orders and how they're used and how they're being used by this president, what they do is they bypass Congress, period. That's all it's about. And don't get me wrong, this is not just a Democrat presidential thing. Donald Trump used a bunch of executive orders. And it turns out every executive order that he put out there, even the ones that were kicked out of a court for whatever reason or reasons, every one of them actually tied to the wishes of the majority of Americans. In this case, Joe Biden, not so much. And this federal court agreed. He's messing around in the wrong case. He needs to go otherwise. So the White House announced yesterday that Biden would veto any legislation that would nullify the president's COVID mandates, even if some Senate Democrats voted for it. In other words, we've seen his Department of Justice draw a line in the sand on the uh, abortion law, specifically the one in Texas and also the one in Mississippi, and said they're going to aggressively pursue anything that messes with abortion. And now they're saying the same thing. We were told yesterday, if any mandate, any legislation that would nullify any of his COVID-19 mandates, if it comes to the president's desk, he will veto it. That's from Jen Psaki, you know, the mouthpiece of the government. She describes supporters of the measure as members of the anti-vaccine crowd who should be stopped. She said, we certainly hope the Senate, Congress, will stand up to the anti-vaccine and testing crowd. And we're going to continue to work to implement these, she replied. So what instigated this? Well, the Senate is about to vote on a fast-track resolution using the Congressional Review Act It's sponsored by Senator Mike Braun, a Republican from Indiana, to disapprove of Biden's OSHA rule requiring all businesses with over 100 employees to level a vaccine mandate or regular testing on their employees. I got to believe a few of the Democrats are going to say, wait, do I want to buy into more of this craziness or do I want to get reelected? Braun said that in an interview yesterday. Tester, Senator Tester from Montana, said he supports blocking the vaccine mandate because of feedback he got from the business community. Go figure. A member of the Senate, a member of the House of Representatives, actually making a decision based upon, quote, feedback from voting constituents. They're supposed to go there and do just that in the first place. He said, over the past few months, I've repeatedly heard concerns from Montana small business and community leaders about the negative effect that private business vaccine mandates will have on their bottom lines and on Montana's economy. Joe Manchin joined in. He also cited the burden on business, and that's his reason for not supporting the the, um, mandates and is supporting the Republican effort and will vote to stop 
Biden's vaccine mandates. Let me be clear, he said. I do not support any government vaccine mandate on private businesses. That's why I have co-sponsored and will strongly support a bill to overturn the federal government vaccine mandate for private businesses. Legal losses for Biden's mandate, boy, they continue to pile up across the nation. And we just told you about another one of those. It's going to be interesting to watch this. Let's see what the Senate does on it. And then something came out overnight that is absolutely breathtaking and it scares me to death. Listen to this. This is out of the UK this morning. Deaths of children are on the rise. And it's not just because COVID-19 is spreading. It all began to ramp up quickly when the United Kingdom started vaccinating teens from the age of 12 and up. The risk-benefit analysis raises some serious doubts about injecting this age group of people with any vaccine. On September 20th, the British National Health Service, NHS, kind of like our CDC, they announced that the COVID vaccine would be rolled out for kids aged 12 to 15. And part of the biggest vax drive in the country's health service history, 3 million children can receive a first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. According to the NHS, their National Health Service, shots started in hundreds of schools with the injection program rolling out to others in the coming weeks. Following the government's VAX rollout, the UK's Office of National Statistics shows that the number of deaths between week 38 and 41 of 2021 among kids aged 10 to 14 were 62% higher than the five-year average for the number of deaths in this age group during the same period. Furthermore, the increase in deaths, it started when children started getting vaccinated for COVID. This trend of increasing deaths among kids, it just goes on and on. It's just getting worse and worse. More kids in the age group 5 to 14 years died in week 43 of 2021 than ever have before. Data from the UK Health Security Agency revealed that so many kids died on the end of October that there was excess mortality. So who decides who's going to get jabbed and who isn't? The decision to do this to kids over 12, it came immediately after the four chief medical officers of the UK advised the UK government to offer the Pfizer shots to these kids. And the government decided to go ahead with the injection program, despite the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunizations previously stating they could not support universal vax of children. So is it just a coincidence that deaths among kids in the UK have since that time increased by 62% and it's up to 400% in kids that are classified as vulnerable? The CMO admits they do not know the adverse effects the injection will have on children, stating, we acknowledge that there is considerable uncertainty regarding the magnitude of the potential harms. Now understand, put this whole thing in context. The experts in the UK, the experts, the so-called experts, we just got told that those experts said 
They could not support vaccination for kids. It's the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization. They stated they couldn't support it for this very reason. And so the government steps in, just like happens here in the United States. Congress here is not stepping in. Have you heard or seen anybody come out of Congress with a uh, COVID-19 or any other kind of vaccination mandate? Doesn't happen. Hadn't happened. Biden and his administration are treating everything to do with COVID-19 like they are Congress, that they are the sole arbiters of what should be and what shouldn't be done by, for, and to the American people. That's not the way the United States representative government is supposed to work. Representative means we're at the top. Who? The people of the United States. We're the ones that make the determination of what's best for us. Yeah, they can make a suggestion. They can talk to us. They can put something out there. But the way it's always worked and the way it needs to continue to work is this way. It goes to the representatives, the the direct representatives of the American people, and they decide. We voted for them. We put them in office to do things just like this. Just like this to represent us so that our voices are heard on everything. Not for somebody that has been insulated in his career for more than 50 years, and his career for more than 50 years has been from Delaware to the Potomac Valley, just a few miles away, insulated from the realities that every American, especially American moms and dads, face on a day-to-day basis. They live in a different world from us, folks. Not only do they not sense or realize or experience the same challenges that we do in many ways, they think they know better than us. That would be like somebody telling you how to drive a car when you'd never driven a car before, nor had they. And the so-called experts in this case in the United States, led by, guess who, Anthony Fauci, we find out not one, not two, not 20, not 30, dozens of things that he, the COVID-19 expert, has told us are factual, good, good and bad, what to do, what not to do, or untruthful. We find out they're wrong. And listen, listen it's that, it doesn't stop there with just saying, oh, he was wrong. What happened? What happened to American people when he told us something and it was confirmed by the so-called experts around him and in Congress? Oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to social distance. We have to wear masks. This morning, I listened to a fellow journalist from the New York Post, a great columnist. She and her family are leaving New York City. Now, she works for the New York Post. The New York Post understands they're moving to Florida. Why? Because her six-year-old son has had a mask on his face for eight hours a day this entire school year and last year when the schools were in session. And she said he's emotionally disturbed. He can't grasp things going on in classroom. He's not communicative. 
He's shy in the first place, and this is devastating him. How many other stories like that are there across the country? Where does Fauci weigh in on this? He doesn't. And speaking of Fauci, probably the person in the United States that has more at odds vocally and very publicly, there's nobody more in that vein than is Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Last night on Sean Hannity, Senator Paul joined Hannity to discuss Fauci's ever-changing COVID-19 guidance. Listen to them. Here with reaction to all of this, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. You know, Senator, it's basically it's become follow the science uh, only when convenient. Because if we're following the science, the science out of Israel, and I believe Qatar now is the second country, but the Israel case showing natural immunity was 27 times more effective in, in warding off the Delta variant than the vaccine. That would be following the science, wouldn't it? Virtually none of the edicts or the promulgations that come from Fauci's mouth are based in science at all. Take the idea that we're now going to test the day of travel. The rapid test is accurate about between 30 and 50 percent if you don't have symptoms. So most people traveling, if they know they're sick, are going to not travel. So most of the people we're talking about are traveling are without symptoms. The test is 30 to 50 percent accurate. The Omicron variant is already across the United States and across the world. No travel ban is going to stop it and no amount of testing is going to stop it. But think about this. Fauci now says if you know someone's been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask next to him. So you see him at one of these glittering Hollywood parties the other day and it's like, oh, if I don't know the person, I put a mask on if I know them. Well, he doesn't know their vaccine status. How idiotic is that? Oh, I don't know that person, so I'm going to put my mask on. But now I'm going to take it off because I know that person. He doesn't know who's vaccinated or not by looking at them. It's a ridiculous standard. But here's the bottom line. People who've been vaccinated or people who've gotten the disease naturally do have a semblance of protection and should feel comfortable going about their daily lives. Let's not live in fear because Dr. Fauci is is promulgating things that are unscientific just to scare you. If you've been vaccinated or if you've had the disease, live your life and ignore this man and let's hope he can be gone as soon as possible. You know, you, you've been the first to point out and now others have joined in loudly and I applaud them like Ted Cruz, he's been great, uh, that when he testified, I believe it was May 11th, and said that the NIH never funded any gain of function research, I think it might have been an exchange with you, um, now we know from the NIH itself, and we know from the 900 uh, documents from The Intercept, and we know from Fauci's own emails, that in fact he knew damn well that coronavirus gain-of-function research was being done at the Wuhan Virology Lab, and that his NIH was funding it. And, and realize to this day he hasn't taken any of it back and he hasn't learned any lessons. To this day he still supports sending money to China, he still supports the research in Wuhan, and he still supports gain-of-function research throughout the United States. There is the possibility that a, a virus could escape a lab that has 50% mortality. He has been in favor of allowing experiments with viruses that have 50% mortality. The current virus is wreaking havoc and it has 1% mortality. 
testimony. Can you imagine if a virus escapes from a lab? So he's learned absolutely nothing, but he's a danger to mankind because he, he, he doesn't want to place any new limits on this gain-of-function research. He continues to deny that it happened. When we caught him lying, he went to his website and changed the definition of gain-of-function. They took the words gain-of-function off of his website off of the NIH website because he's still trying to obscure any responsibility for his funding of this type of research. But the funding goes on. This could happen again. The man's a menace and we need to get him away from the reins of power. A, a guy that said in 2012, even if it resulted in a worldwide pandemic, he still supports gain of function research. That to me is like a mad scientist. That kind of situational ethics absolutely should get him away. I mean. Think about the five million families who have lost loved ones. He's saying, oh, well, the research was worth it. Sorry, you know, sorry for your loss of your loved one, but the research was worth it. What a callous disregard for individuals, individual liberty, and the individual deaths of five million people just to say, oh, well, the research was worth it. No, we should have a heart-to-heart -heart discussion, Republicans, Democrats, all of us, with the scientists, and we should ask the question, should this type of research be funded in China? And should this type of research should be funded in the United States or Europe or anywhere. There are scientists who will come in who are not Republicans, scientists who are nonpartisans, who've been worried about Dr. Fauci and his support of this research for 15 years. Way before this pandemic, the debate was out there, but Dr. Fauci's winning because he controls the purse strings. He controls the money, and if you don't listen to him, he may yank your funding. He may yank your funds. Senator, you've done a great job exposing this and standing up for real science uh, and the American people and freedom and medical privacy and, and doctor-patient confidentiality, which nobody seems to care about much these days. Thank you for doing it. We appreciate you being with us. So instead of listening to tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of physicians from around the world, these are the ones that they deal with patients every day. You know those guys. Fauci has never treated one COVID-19 patient. You got that? Not one. But yet he lectures every one of those other hundreds of thousands, millions of doctors around the world on everything to do and not to do regarding COVID-19. Why? Because he's been anointed as the expert. The expert. Not an expert, but the guy. There's a lot of things that he has changed. You heard Senator Paul say he changed on the NIH website the definition of gain of function. There's something else that changed, and they won't talk about it, but it's still published there. How many adverse reactions and what kind have happened because of vaccinations? From McAllen, Texas to Berlin, Germany, the universal language is truth on TNN, the Truth News Network. Des Moines Help Wanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. 
park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by this ad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. back in the 60s. Everybody, get on aboard the love train. Get on aboard the love train. I mean, they they need to learn that lesson in the U.S. political system for sure. There's very little love going around. It's all divisiveness. And I'm right and you're wrong and you need to shut up and listen to me and don't ask any questions. I've got all the information, all the facts. Eh, You don't have any question or any problems with it if you believe that. Coming up in the next hour, we got some really deep things we're going to get into. We're going to start, I'm going to tell you what's happened and what is chronicled to have happened by the CDC itself. What's happened, none of the Democrats in Congress, none of the medical professionals that are Democrats, including Fauci, will even discuss. And it is included on the CDC website. Vaccine adverse events. The report is published every week there. They don't talk about it. It's buried in the back, but we get it and we share it with you. Now, it lags about a week. Uh, It's a week behind. So the latest numbers were published as of November 26th. They're about a week old. Every Friday, we get the new numbers. Adverse reactions from the vaccinations, not from covid from the vax itself, 19,532 people have died since January 1st. 99,943 Americans hospitalized. 102,602 have gone to urgent care facilities. 145,000 other doctor office visits. 8,300 anaphylaxis cases. 11,636 Bell's palsies, 3,148 miscarriages, 9,746 heart attacks, 15,000 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis, 31,000 permanently disabled, 4,600 with thrombocytopenia low platelet counts, 21,000 life-threatening other reactions, 34,481 severe allergic reactions, and even 10,000-plus cases of shingles. This has never happened with any other medication in U.S. history. Never, never, not one time has it happened this bad. And any time any medication that's put out, approved by the FDA, has these kinds of adverse reactions, you know what happens immediately? 
the FDA forces pulling it from the marketplace. Not here. This is happening. People are dying. People are being permanently disabled from the vaccinations. We've had them on the show. We've had them here. You have heard people in this category tell about the egregious things that happened to them. Mainstream media. I don't even call them mainstream. Legacy media. Democrat Party media. They don't even cover any of this. And certainly Dr. Anthony Fauci never does and never has. That's happening as we speak. And let me tell you what the experts say. The people that put this report together and put it out, the CDC, they say it's 41 times worse based upon their research. Why is that? Why can't they give us the actual numbers? Because they know not every one of these adverse reactions is reported to the CDC. And based on the history of their findings when they've been able to do research and get the actual numbers, 41 more times. Now, what does that mean? 41 times 20,000. Do the math. I'll do it for you real quick. 41 times 20,000. As media, as many as 820,000 Americans have literally died from vaccinations. What's going to be really, really heartbreaking is when at some point in our future, this number, or maybe even worse, maybe not 820,000, maybe it's only half that. That's almost half a million Americans, folks, have died from the vaccinations. It's unacceptable to most Americans, but not, not to this administration. In fact, they want, and they're very vocal about letting everybody know they want every American to be vaccinated, every single one, regardless of what happens to so many when they get vaccinated. And this is not just from one of the vaccines. It's all of them, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. However, I will tell you this, from the sources that, again, are released in this report by the CDC on the VAERS site, most, in fact, a huge majority of the deaths from these vaccines are from the Pfizer vaccine. You remember a few weeks ago we had that nurse formerly employed for a long time in Orlando at a hospital there, and the system she worked for came down with a vax requirement You either get vaccinated or you get fired. And she objected on religious basis. She was turned down, so she quit. We had her here. We had her when we asked her all kinds of questions. She shared her story. And she ran a very, very important department in that hospital. But based upon what she knew from medicine and watching this and learning and watching these various things that we just reported to you, actually happen on her watch in the hospital, she refused to get vaccinated. Well, yesterday, guess what happened? That hospital system that she worked for ended its vaccination mandate for its 83,000 employees. And not because they were told to do so by any court, but this was after multiple federal courts issued preliminary injunctions against the CMS vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. It's Advent Health. That's the chain. 
It operates in nine states, including Florida. They previously sent a letter to employees saying they had until December 6th, yeah, on December 6th, yes, two days ago, to get their first dose of either a Moderna or a Pfizer vaccine regimen, or even the single-dose J&J shot. Had to get it done by January 4th, 2022. Workers who didn't comply would be terminated. Well, here's what they said yesterday in a release. Due to recent decisions by the federal courts to block the CMS vaccine mandate, we are suspending all vaccination requirements of our COVID-19 vaccination policy. The letter said that because of the complexity of federal and state laws regarding vaccine exemptions, Advent Health won't process new requests for exemptions. The hospital system will continue to monitor the ongoing litigation regarding the federal law. Several days ago, CMS issued a memo saying that it remains confident that the federal government will prevail and uphold the Biden administration's vaccine mandate. However, because of a bunch of recent court orders that impact the U.S. and its territories, CMS, that's Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, I'll tell you what they are in just a second. But anyway, they paused implementation of the mandate that workers at Medicare and Medicaid-funded facilities got to get vaxxed. CMS, everybody thinks when you hear the term Medicare. When you hear the term Medicare, somebody talks about Medicare, and a lot of people that are on Medicare as senior adults, they think somewhere in Washington there's a big building, a skyscraper that on the top it says Medicare. It doesn't exist. It's a small bureaucratic group of appointed people, and they run America's healthcare system. But here's how they run it. All they do, folks, is they pass out the edicts that come from the U.S. Congress. They push it downstream. But regarding the X's and O's in Medicare, which governs every segment of healthcare treatment for people that are Medicare recipients. That's all they do. Well, what about all the claims that are filed? What about the regulations that come out? Who decides how much Medicare is going to pay for this or that? They push that downstream to medical professionals, facilities, hospitals, doctors, clinics below them. And they take input from them and they write these regulations and send it all over to Congress to approve. That's what they do. What about all the claims that are filed? Very few people know this. You know, when you get a Medicare card and you're, as a patient, you have a question about anything to do with the bill, about your coverage or anything, there's a toll-free number for you to call. And when you call that number, you get the answer, Medicare. Well, you that's why people think there's a building up there. Regionally, nationwide, the CMS contracts with private insurance companies to process all claims and to answer all medical questions from policyholders and also doctors. Well, what if they do something wrong? The government's not going to be able to step in and stop it. Listen, they have an appeal process. Every insurance company does. If you get a treatment and uh, you're a Medicare patient, Your doctor, they charge X number of dollars for whatever they're doing for you. Or if there's just a question about the authority or the ability 
of any healthcare provider to provide those services, when you call that number, and let's say you question a bill, let's say you're a doctor and your office bills, uh, let's just say there's 150,000, you got a heart, a very serious heart condition person that comes in and spends 20 days in cardiac care, intensive care, big hospital bill, it's a $150,000 bill, your billing office sends that claim to be paid to whatever insurance company handles it. Aetna is one that handles a lot of uh, Medicare claims around the nation. Advent does as well, a bunch of other really big ones. So what do you do if Medicare pays it? Maybe the bill according to the allowables that they gave you for the individual services provided to that person, maybe that bill should be $100,000 they're going to pay but they only pay 50. What do you do? Well, you appeal it. Who do you appeal it to? You call that toll-free number and they put you on the phone with an expert on appeals. Well, you think you're talking to Medicare. Do you know that if that person says, no, we're going to deny your appeal and you appeal it again, it goes up one level. You have to go three levels up before you actually get to Medicare, the CMS. How do I know this? (laughs) For 28 years, we did that every day for hospitals and clinics that were our clients around the nation. But most Americans don't understand that. So if they get the first, well, it's not covered, they just give up. In other words, CMS is not as smart and is not as knowledgeable and certainly not as friendly as we're made out to believe that they are. They are regulation-only people. They're not up there practicing medicine, folks. Just keep that in mind if and when you face this. And if you haven't already, I promise you, at some point in your life, you will, or someone in your immediate family will. Did you hear about that Beverly Hills firefighter? A guy out there, I can tell you this right now, Anybody in California, especially regarding anything to do with COVID-19, you don't want to live in California. It's bad. It's really bad. For 11 years, including during the first days of the COVID-19 outbreak, Josh Satley, he served the community of Beverly Hills as a firefighter and he's also paramedic, which is kind of unusual. Most paramedics are paramedics, not both, firefighter and paramedic. Now, just because he refused to get a vaccine for religious reasons, Satley has been relieved of duty without pay. The healthcare workers' vaccine requirement order took effect as of 12 noon on Thursday, August 12th, applies to, among many others, emergency medical technicians and pre-hospital care personnel. That includes him. Employees were told they must have received either their single dose of a one-dose COVID vaccine regimen or their second dose of a two-dose COVID vaccine regimen by September 30th. Satley said he and his fellow firefighters first heard about it on August 14th. But at the time, there was no formal policy in place. So on August 16th, Satley had a meeting with Beverly Hills Fire Chief Greg Barton regarding the mandate. Barton told Satley to be vaccinated by October 1 or get a religious or medical exemption. 
Then on September 24th, Satley filled out and submitted the City of Beverly Hills request for religious exemption form from the Los Angeles County Health Officer that requires COVID-19 vaccination. And in it, it states the August 12th Los Angeles County Health Officer order requires all employees covered by the order, including EMTs and EMT paramedics, get the vaccination by September 30th. One of the two exemptions allowed, this is in the order, folks, one of two exemptions allowed is due to, quote, sincerely held religious beliefs. To the question, do you have a sincerely held religious belief, practice, or observance that conflicts with the requirement, Satley obviously answered yes. And I've got a copy of his form where he signed it and sent it in September 24th. And at the end of it, over his signature, it says this, quote, My signature below indicates that the info I have provided in this form is true and correct. I understand if I qualify for a vaccination exemption, I will be required to test every week for COVID-19 and be subject to other health and safety requirements. That just makes sense. The parenthetical addition, in parentheses, PPE and testing only, was handwritten on the form by Satley. He said, Satley said, we tried to play by the rules, explaining that he and others, several others, had filled out forms requesting religious exemptions. Then Satley and others were told he would have to attend a religious exemption interview to discuss their request. Listen to this now. So on September 28th, Satley and about 20 of his colleagues were called to attend individual religious exemption interviews in a Zoom meeting with City of Beverly Hills Director of Human Resources Shelley Avram and her litigator Jennifer Petrusis. Satley and his colleagues, they got together at one fire station meeting with Avram and Petrusis individually in the station's library. During his session, Satley and Avram and Petrusis what criteria they were using to determine if his religious beliefs were sincere and through what training or by what authority they were qualified to make the decision. Satley and Ovram deferred the question to Petrusus, the lawyer, who laughed at me, he said, and admitted they had no training, but insisted they had the authority to ask for a clarification. Satley said, they were challenging the legitimacy of my religious status and whether I was sincere or not. They're determining what my deeply held beliefs are and if they're good enough to be accepted. Then they asked if my deeply held religious beliefs prevent me from getting vaccinated, and I told them my decision is based on my belief in God and in prayer, and I pray before every major decision I make in my life. Sounds good to me. I do the same thing. Satley explained to Ovram and Petrusis that he could not get the vaccination because he had prayed about it. And the answer he got through his prayer was that he should not get the vax under any circumstance. So they weren't through yet. He said after that, Satley did, they asked if I, if it was going to change in the future my opinion about it, and I said no. Then they asked if he took the flu shot. They were trying to trip him up. 
I said, I had one over eight years ago, and frankly, it was irrelevant. One was a choice. This is a mandate. Satley said he found the whole process insulting. Here, Ovram is interviewing me from the safety of her home on a Zoom call, asking me, who was out there all along on the streets with sick people not knowing what the outcome was going to be, to justify my decision, Satley said. There was a possibility we could contract the thing and die. Now this woman is sitting across a desk for me on a Zoom call to determine if my religious belief is strong enough so I can keep my job strong enough according to her. On September 30th, exemption determinations were emailed to everybody. Of the 25 applicants for exemption, five were for medical, 20 for religious reasons. Of those, 14 were approved on a 30-day temporary status, and they were told they would be reevaluated at the end of the month. Of those 14 folks, six were denied, including Satley's. Of those six, five members complied under duress and were vaccinated. He said, I held the line and refused. So they put me on leave without pay, which is essentially being fired. They bypassed my skelly rights and my due process and the firefighter's bill of rights, which I am legally owed. Essentially, I've been disciplined without the proper process, the legal process being put in place, and they're going to terminate me whenever they see fit. So immediately after the religious exemption interview on September 29th, Satley said he was required to sign an attestation form under duress. He was not warned ahead of time that he would be required to sign this form or have his request for religious exemption automatically be denied. The caveat added to the form verified he was forced to sign the document. I have been forced to sign this form or else I am told my exemption request will be denied. That's on the form in all capital letters above the new signature line. This form has not been negotiated by and between the Beverly Hills Firefighters Association and the city of Beverly Hills. So, as you have listened to this report, you probably wonder like I did, what about his family? Didn't say anything about a wife and kids. So when asked about it, his wife, Brittany, Josh's wife said this, I think it's amazing. I'm so proud of him. We figured it would come down to them forcing him to get it, Brittany said. So after we talked about it, we prayed about it, we decided it wasn't something we were willing to do, and we've always been firm on that, and it's not an option. Brittany, she relayed this. For about six months prior to him being placed on leave without pay, she said she and Joss had discussed the possibility of a vaccine mandate coming and how they might respond when the day came. Folks, right now, you're listening to me. You're going through the same conundrum. What if? What if? To Brittany, this was one of the most stressful times as everything happened so fast, yet seemed so vague. She wasn't in on the meetings or any of the other discussions. She relied only on the ambiguous information her husband could relay to her And because there had never been any definitive policies written and things seemed to be made up as things went along, even he could give her very little 
clarity. Brittany explained that Josh chose to fill out the short forms rather than the long forms that asked for details and to explain their religious views. To Josh and Brittany, it wasn't any of their business. And constitutionally, this is Dan saying, it isn't any of their business. After that, Josh was told he had to attend a religious exemption interview to defend his request, which Brittany was completely against. I don't think that's any of their business, she said. He was never asked about his religion when he was hired. It seemed so wrong, but he was told that if he didn't attend the religious exemption interview, his request for a religious exemption would automatically be declined. So he felt like he had to do this or he'd be fired. The day of the interview, Brittany said she was sick to her stomach with worry, felt like he was being interrogated for his religious views. But where she had hoped for some relief would come, when the interview was over with, she said she only felt worse, more violated. The day after the religious exemption interview, while Josh and Brittany were at the beach with fellow firefighters and their wives trying to find support in each other's company, they got the email saying his request for a religious exemption had been denied. No reason given. Now, the reason I'm exhaustively going through this story with you folks, I want to point something out. You may have thought about this, and I alluded to just a second ago a little tidbit of it. But I I think whoever we are, wherever we are, what our past is, what our present is, other than the things we have in common, which this is, I think none of that matters. What matters is today. Today. And I've said this several times on this show, just like I'm about to say it. The only way I will ever receive a COVID-19 vaccine of any kind is if somebody not just puts a gun to my head, but knocks me out. Only if I'm made unconscious will anybody vaccinate me. Why? Folks, it's not based on emotion. It's based on the law and it's based on medical evidence, not Fauciisms, not Bidenisms. None of that is impacting my decision. What and the only thing that is, is my convictions spiritually, the United States Constitution, and the rule of law. This kind of stuff has never happened in the United States of America. Do you realize the closest this nation came to doing anything like this was in World War II, and it had nothing to do with medicine? Do you know that FDR had an internment camp built in California? Every person in the United States of Japanese descent was forcefully sent, and they had to stay in this prison. Nobody ever thought something like that could or would happen in the United States of America, but but it did. It did. And it may happen again. I don't know. Some of you may listen, and you heard what I said, and you may say, well, what are you going to do, Dan? What are you going to do? If they knock on your door today, what are you going to do? I told you what I'm going to do. It will have to forcibly be done, and unless and until I'm unconscious, I'll fight it. And you know what? I'll do the same thing for my wife, 
My kids are all grown. They can make their decisions on their own, and several of our children have been vaccinated. One for medical purposes only, the other for job purposes, a decision, a choice that they made on their own. And to be quite honest with you, neither one of them consulted me before they did it. That's okay. It is an individual choice. It isn't legally, legitimately, ethically, morally. It is not a government's choice regarding health care. That's just the truth, folks. That's the way it is. We got plenty more to come. More about that and even some other things. Do you know these professional athletes, these multimillionaires, I'm not talking about one sport. I'm talking about football, soccer, baseball, basketball. Professional athletes are having this shoved down their throats. And the nation of Canada, of all things, has weighed in about vaccine mandates for professional athletes. You're going to love this one. That and a whole lot more. And oh, by the way, we've got a soundbite that you've got to stay around for regarding abortion. Representative Cawthorn, U.S. Congressman from North Carolina, took the floor yesterday and he gave a short speech. You are going to love this. There's a whole lot more just ahead. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten. Ten to the ten to the ten to the ten ten ten. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember 10-10-10. For 10 days, sign up for $10 and pay just 10 bucks a month after that. Hurry, you only have until November 10th to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on 42nd Street next to Shopco. There's enough negative news. Too bad it's fake news. Looking on the brighter side, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And your ray of sunshine, Dan Newman. I I don't know about that, Pete. <laughs> Looking on the brighter side. I mean facts are facts and 
Unfortunately, sometimes facts don't live on the brighter side of some issues, but still it's important to grab those nuggets of truth, to pass them out so that we all can have the truth on which we can make decisions based. I mentioned Canada. Guess what Canada did? The government has decreed that unvaccinated NBA players are not even going to be able to enter the country and play in Toronto starting the new year. And folks, their regular season goes on through March, April. (laughs) This is really going to be uncomfortable for everybody. According to the Athletics Shams Sharania, Canadian health officials have said that starting January 15th, players must be fully vaccinated to play the Toronto Raptors. Raptors players are also required to be 100% fully vaxxed or face fines and suspension. Now think about that. The government's stepping in and telling a private employer, uh, a United States private employer, not a Canadian, hey, we're going to tell you about your employees and what they can and can do regarding being vaccinated if they want to come here and do the job they have this career doing. But honestly, the sad thing about this, it's not a big surprise. It's really not. Canadian Public Safety Minister, a guy named Marco Mendocino, announced back in November that mandatory vaccine requirements for foreign visitors were set to be imposed next year anyway. Then last month, Mendocino said that there will be no longer an exemption in place for professional and amateur athletes. The NBA has claimed that 95% of the league is now fully vaxxed. The new rule does not pertain solely to the NBA, of course. You have the National Hockey League, seven pro hockey teams in Canada. The NHL, though, still has not made any announcements about the new rule that is about to fall into place among our northern neighbors. In other words, all those teams that play in the National Hockey League, U.S. teams are not going to be able to go and play there if athletes, American NHL players, are unvaxxed. Canada's pretty much eliminated all its previous exemptions for visitors. The exemption is also canceled for people traveling into Canada to do things like reunite with family, international students over 18 years of age, cross-border essential workers. I mean, look at Detroit. Do you know that you can leave downtown Detroit in four minutes, be in Canada, and a lot of people live in the U.S. and work in Canada. If you're not vaccinated, folks, that's going to stop. Most temporary foreign workers and essential service providers facing the same thing. All will now have to be fully vaccinated or be barred from even getting in to Canada to do something like work your job. We see this kind of thing happening in places around the world. We have throughout history. Never have we seen this happen in North America. Never. The U.S. Surgeon General yesterday issued a public health advisory. Now listen to this one. In the context of what you've already heard, 
about that New York Post reporter moving her family to Florida because of what was happening to her six-year-old boy at school? The Surgeon General yesterday issued a health advisory on the mental health issues he says that youth in America are facing from lockdowns and other protocols put in place during the pandemic. Murthy, the general surgeon, U.S. Surgeon General, he said it would be a tragedy if we beat back one public health crisis only to allow another to grow in its place. Mental health challenges in kids, adolescents, and young adults are real, and they are widespread. But most importantly, they're treatable and often even preventable, he said. Advisors are reserved. Advisories are observed for significant public health challenges that need the nation's immediate awareness and action. He issued this advisory the day after he visited King Drew Magnet High School of Medicine and Science in the Willowbrook area of Los Angeles, South L.A., where students said they have struggled during the pandemic. A lot of people still feel like everything is virtual-like. They act as if we can't see or hear what they say. That's from a student named Jesus L., a senior at the school. A lot of students have been less motivated to come to class. You know, miss school more. I'm noticing a lot more students start to leave class and take long bathroom breaks. Is it any surprise that this is happening, stuff like this? And think who it's happening to. We're not talking about a seasoned, aged, veteran Americans. You know, the ones that have been in the workplace for a while and understand the ebb and flow of all things good and bad that happen. Sometimes, folks, bad things happen and we have no control over them. History has got us all prepared for those kind of things, at least in part. But what about our babies? What about our young children? Symptoms of depression and anxiety have doubled during the pandemic. 25% of youth experiencing depressive symptoms, 20% experiencing anxiety symptoms. There also appear to be increases in negative emotions or behaviors, such as impulsivity and irritability that are associated with conditions such as ADD, attention deficit, and even hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. In early 2021, emergency department visits in the U.S. for suspected suicides were 51% higher for adolescent girls, 4% higher for adolescent boys, compared to the same time period in early 2019. Even before the pandemic, kids from all backgrounds face serious mental health challenges. But nearly two years of disruption took a toll, worsened their mental health, especially for groups like immigrants, students with disabilities, and students of color from low-income families. The report also said that isolated young people make it harder to recognize signs of child abuse, mental health concerns, and other challenges. In fact, this particular school district, the Los Angeles Unified School District, they have a shortage of mental health professionals with the staffing go falling short 500 social workers. Meanwhile, the kids, the American children folks, they're the last ones 
in the daisy chains of priority regarding this health care debacle in our nation. The professionals that are advising President Biden, this was his Surgeon General who came out and basically said, hey, these are facts. I wonder if Biden's going to listen to him. Or do those that are giving him all of the impetus for all of the policies and the things that he has done and initiated and is in the process or is going to do regarding our pandemic, COVID-19, vaccinations across the board, even testing. All of that is putting our children last, their physical and their mental and emotional health care last, and they should be first. They should be first. This is just mind-boggling to me. I will never be able to reconcile that. Never will I be able to get my arms around it. I just can't understand it. I, can't, I would think if we were talking about doing something so egregious as lockdowns and doing virtual school and then coming back and doing school with plexiglass cubes for the kids to sit in, wear a mask, from the moment you leave your house to the moment you get home eight hours later, changing overnight for every child in public education, changing their environments with little explanation. What explanation they're given scares them to death. They don't know what's happening. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't understand a huge portion of their freedoms have been snatched away. And they're scared to death, almost without exception. They're scared to death. And our government, folks, our government, you know that government of, by, and for the people? Our government is making this happen without asking us about it. And it's all being fueled by Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has in his history not a speckled past, but a past full of life, disease, death, all kinds of negative problems happening at his hands, under his watch, and under his control. And there are many things that he did that have been documented and proven that nobody will even talk about. Do you know that during the HIV-AIDS stuff that happened back in the 90s, that he went to an orphanage in New York City, an orphanage, underage kids. I'm talking about kids as young as five years old through about 12 or 13 years old. And they performed on these kids very egregious experiments, folks. Not trials, but using medicine, medication, and not just HIV stuff. In fact, the AZT, you know, the drug that came out, it was a miracle drug that Fauci was partially responsible for creating and putting out there. It was the only thing that would cure or help cure AIDS. You remember that? Dozens of these children in the testing for that died in reactions for it. Numerous others, dozens and dozens of others had horrible reactions to it. They never, they being the Fauci sycophants, they never reported any of this. Nobody in healthcare got the word about it until much, much, much later. 
And of course, the media never reported on it. It's out there now in the public domain. Anybody can go grab it. This is the guy that pushed the Biden administration to make the decision about our kids today. Total disregard for health care. Total disregard for truth and things that we know that are factual. And they're subjecting our children to egregious situations, circumstances that no animal should even be subjected to. And it's among the weakest among us. I just don't understand it. I don't understand it. We're going to get away from that conversation. We could stay here all day. It's, it's just very negative. And I got to be completely honest with you at this point, I don't see any peaceful, easy way to get out of it. I really don't. You probably, in your last few years, you've experienced some really big problems online, the internet, computers crashing, data disappearing, you being hacked. I think that uh, has been uh, something that we've been conditioned to accept something like that's going to happen. It's inevitable, so we just kind of ignore it when it happens. It happened to us here at TNN Live yesterday. In fact, we found out when it happened to us, and I'll tell you exactly what happened in a second, but uh, I began to find out it happened to millions of people and companies around the United States. Here's what happened. Amazon Web Services, it's referred to as AWS. Uh, The Web Services, they're a really, really big web company. They have servers stationed at locations all around the United States. You never know that your stuff, when it's being dealt with and distributed by Amazon Web Services, but what happens somewhere along the line in Internet services, there are these hubs where every bit of data that you're looking at goes through some of these hubs being transferred from one to another instantaneously. Well, their AWS system crashed yesterday, leaving Amazon delivery trucks stranded, unable to even get to their routes. It also crashed Alexa, Ring, Disney+, Plus, Tinder, Venmo, Prime Video, among other services. And it happened to us here. We've told you that when we finish this show every day, that Apple Podcast picks up the show, um, Spotify Podcast picks up the show, and an announcement today, yesterday, Google Podcast picked it up. So how that works, there is an entity out there that creates what's called an RSS feed. Now what that is, your podcast, its output, your show, its output is turned into a RSS feed file. And so anybody that wants that particular day, that particular show turned into a podcast, if they want it to use on their site for distribution purposes to their customers, their clients, or whatever, they just automatically set it up in their server to receive that show through this RSS feed, and then it automatically goes to their website and is posted there. Hours yesterday, I immediately got emails after the show saying, hey, we apologize for it. We use AWS, Amazon Web Services, and something's happening there. Your show podcast cannot be uploaded today. So it was a really big deal because there are thousands of podcasts that are distributed automatically 
from around the United States that all got popped yesterday. It, it uh, impacted iRobot, Chime, Cash App, Capital One Bank, GoDaddy, even those Associated Press. Uh, <laughs> that was a faux pas, but it's a real one. I said the Associated Press. <laughs> the Associated Press, Instacart, Kindle, Roku, and Ring. Three delivery service partners also said an Amazon app used to communicate between delivery drivers. It went down. This meant that drivers trying to deliver packages were left sitting idle in their vans. No communication from the company at all for hours and hours. Amazon reportedly said they have identified the root cause of the problem and were working to fix it. I got that email myself. Jeff Bezos' company said the out was likely due to issues related to the application programming interface. That's called API, and we won't even get into that. And they, later on in the afternoon, they provided an update, stating it was starting to see some signs of recovery. We do not have an ETA for full recovery at this time. A little more than an hour later, Amazon updated again, saying we're pursuing multiple mitigation paths in parallel and have seen some signs of recovery, but we do not have an estimated time for full recovery at this time. 3.30 comes in. Company, another update, saying we continue to experience yada, 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 yada. We continue to work to mitigate yada, yada, yada. Users have experienced 27 Amazon outages over the past year. This is our first, thankfully. In July, Amazon suffered yet another major global outage. According to Down Detector, the company's website was disrupted for about two hours, and at the peak of that disruption, more than 38,000 users reported they were having issues with the site. Just wanted to bring that up so that you would know that was going on. And by the way, everything's okay during the night. Last night, they got it rectified in yesterday's show has been passed around to all of those entities, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, and Google Podcast. You know, somebody we haven't heard much about, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's kind of been quiet through all the latest stuff. And usually when there's big legislation pending, she's all over the place because, as you know, she leads the squad and they're all in unison and definitely powerful, totally all-in support for every far-leftist piece of um, policy that's being even considered. And, of course, everything that comes out when it gets to the House of Representatives, they're dead set against it or they want it completely changed and filled with all kinds of pork and giveaways, and amnesty. Amnesty is AOC's latest big deal. What's that all about? You don't want to miss this. Nobody's reporting this. But we are. We dug it out. We got to the, we've got information on that that you need to hear about. What else is out there we want to tell you about? Jesse Smollett. Jesse. I said Jesse. I apologize, sir. Jesse Smollett. His trial is going on, and he's been a good while on the witness stand testifying himself yesterday on his behalf, and it got nasty. It got ugly. It got racist. And guess who started the racism talk and allegations? African-American Jesse Smollett did that himself. AOC, Jesse Smollett. 
up next. He'll never let you fall to the lies. Your bulwark against the tide of fake news. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? (sighs) I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon, and a Corvette a Corvette. Separating fact from fiction, arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN, truthnewsnet.org. Hey, for those of you who are listening in and are regular listeners especially, or anybody that's listening in today, I'd like to hear from you and get your thoughts on the show. Um... Thoughts on the show about good, about bad information, things maybe we're missing. Don't ever hesitate to drop us a line, even with links. Now, we do get a lot of stories passed along to us. And if you're giving us stories from time to time and you may not hear us do anything with them or about them, it's not because we're not getting them. And it's certainly not because we think they're unimportant at all. It's just in the daisy chain of all of the things that or going on around the nation and the world that impact us directly. There are so many, and it's hard to say this, and people believe it, but in two hours, it's hard to get it all in. I can't tell you how much every day when we finish a show, how much I look up and I see left that's in the queue, the, the queue for us to consider and to bring to you, how many stories, how many events, how many things are still there that we just ran out of time. So we put them in, I guess, in line based upon what we consider their importance to be. But often, often we get stories, if you were at the beginning of the show today and you heard about the FBI report about what was found in that safe in New York, Epstein's safe, all those nude pictures of those little children, little girls. That came from one of our viewers sending us a link to that specific story. Of course, obviously, CNN and MSNBC, they weren't going to cover that. Continue to, and thank you for doing it in the past. Let me hear from you. You can send links to me at dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org, or if you want to complain, make a suggestion, feel free to do so too. Before we get to AOC, there's something I wanted to mention to you. I know you've heard that the talk has been happening and it's raising in volume about Vice President Kamala Harris leaving her office for whatever reason or reasons. And um, I guess in the shadows of all the conversation, a bunch of her staffers are leaving. 
I think she's had three or four already announce her leaving, and it's expected and more telling us that they're going to leave. So yesterday in the White House press briefing, uh, Jen Pippi Stockings Saki was asked by Peter Ducey about the staffers leaving Kamala Harris, the vice president. Listen to this back and forth. And listen to Saki's attitude. A handful of key aides have announced either that they are leaving the vice president's office or are reportedly going to be leaving the vice president's office soon. Is the vice president not satisfied with the staffing that she has had so far, or do people just not want to work for her anymore? Well, Peter, I would say that working on a presidential campaign, I may be covering one too, I would say, to be fair, and uh, working in the first year of a White House is exciting and rewarding, but it's also grueling and exhausting. It's all of those things at once. Uh, and many of the team members you're referencing. And I would just note, uh, there has been one an announcement about Simone Sanders departing, but there hasn't been official announcements about others. So I would leave it to them and the vice president's team to make any additional announcements. But in my experience, and if you look at past precedent, uh, it's natural for staffers who've thrown their heart and soul into a job to uh, be ready to move on to a new challenge after a few years. And that is applicable to uh, many of these individuals. Uh, it's also an opportunity, uh, as it is an any White House uh, to uh, bring in new faces, new voices, and new perspectives. And I expect you'll hear more from the Vice President's office on that in due time. So this is not a case of bad headlines about the Vice President and a decision being made to shake up the staff to fix an image issue. You know, Peter, I think I spoke to it, and I would note that, and I'll just speak to Simone since I knew her before, and she's been officially announced, and I knew her even before she joined the Biden campaign, sitting on many panels with her on CNN on CNN sets. Um, and knowing someone like her, uh, she joined the campaign early on, as many of you know. She's been a part of this for two and a half or three years. Um, she's somebody, and anybody who's spent time with her knows that she is uh, whip smart, and she is uh, she is uh, has charisma coming out of her eyeballs, and she's going to do plenty of interesting things uh, in the world uh, in the future. She'll always be a part of this Biden-Harris family, and it's only natural after a couple of years to be ready for something new. Uh, and that's what happens in my experiences, in my experience in the past, in White Houses often. Does the Vice President think that staff are to blame for her not making any kind of meaningful progress on uh, the big things in her portfolio, like passing voting rights or addressing the root causes of migration? I know the Vice President is grateful to all of the staff who have served her. Uh, she also understands the the excitement and the grueling nature of working on a campaign and working in a White House. Uh, and again, as I noted earlier, it's also an opportunity to bring in new faces and perspectives, which is overall a very positive thing. Every president gets the title immediately as Commander-in-Chief, and I'm going to bestow one of my own on Jen Psaki, the excuser in chief because she's always covering we very seldom when there's a contentious question asked about something that's very important we very seldom get a straight answer from her that was one example we got to move on AOC socialist superstar representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez she claimed yesterday listen to this now American workers rely on illegal aliens crossing our border to survive while she drummed up support for Senate amnesty measures. We just lived through one, she said, almost two years now of a pandemic where our country relied on undocumented people to survive, she said. 
She continued to claim illegal aliens were employed during the pandemic by American companies to perform those essential tasks, such as stocking grocery shelves and performing elder care. Who else was sanitizing our buildings? Who else was caring for our elders? Who else was harvesting our food? Who else was stocking our shelves except immigrant labor in our country? 164,303 migrants were encountered along the southwest border in October before they're being released into the interior of the U.S. And those people that she's talking about, if they got those jobs, they're taking those jobs from American workers. And by the way, most of them are working illegally. Just saying. Jesse Smollett yesterday on the witness stand, folks, it's not looking good for him. Officials that were listening in have declared it his testimony as unparalleled disaster. I won't get into the nuts and bolts about it, but I got to be honest with you. It looks very likely that he's going to be convicted on several felony accounts. Before we get away today, this is a very important thing I want you to hear. Representative Cawthorn, I told you about it at the top of the show from North Carolina. He weighed in yesterday on the House floor with a really good explanation of abortion. Madam Speaker, imagine you've just walked out of this chamber and outside is a gorgeous sunset. You have a Polaroid camera and you snap a beautiful picture and the gray photo pins out the front. You hold it and shake it, waiting for the picture to appear. But suddenly, someone walks by and snatches your photo, ripping it to shreds. You're stunned. You cry, why did you destroy my, fo- my picture? The person replies, oh, it wasn't a picture. It wasn't fully developed yet. All of us in this room realize how asinine that reasoning is. That photo was transforming into a beautiful image. This illustration by Seth Gruber is simple, but it's what our nation has done to the most precious image of all, the image of God. Madam Speaker, a silent genocide has slipped beneath the conscience of America. Precious works of our Creator, formed and set apart, meet death before they breathe life. Eternal souls woven into earthen vessels, sanctified by Almighty God and endowed with the miracle of life, are denied their birth by a nation that was born in freedom. God's breath of life blown away by the breath of man. This cruel and fallen world may seem too filthy for their very presence. But these precious temples are crafted in the image of God himself. One day, perhaps when science darkens the soul of the left, our nation will repent. But until then, the carnage of this unconscionable deed will stain the fabric of our nation. I hope that the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. I hope that we stop the the genocide of abortion in this country. That, folks, from a injured war veteran, a young guy, and I mean, he is right on, Millions of Americans feel that exact same way. And of course, he's speaking about the pending case at the United States Supreme Court. That is a wrap on midweek Wednesday at TNN Live. Hey, I want to leave just by telling you something. I want you to understand. We love you here. We're glad you're part of our family at TNN Live Truth News Network. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m., Monday through Friday, Central here at Truth News Network. Have a great day, folks.